0: Welcome to episode two hundred and forty-seven of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, our August catch-up edition. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. And uh, Shane, first off, uh, we have a few uh, Patreon supporters to thank. Um, actually, there's there's four, and uh, our apologies if if uh, I've repeated anybody here, but. Uh, as you and I were discussing, it it can be a little bit uh, more challenging to keep track of who we've thanked and what we've recorded in different episodes when we're doing a whole pile of shorts uh, every few weeks in the summer. It's been it's sort of knocked us out of our our usual flow,
1: yeah, yeah, the routine is a little different. and, uh, yeah, when we were doing this weekly, you could sort of queue up all of this stuff a little easier. but um, Uh, But anyway, uh, big thanks to Sean, Matthew, Wade, and Joe uh, for uh, their Patreon support. They are our newest Patreon supporters. And as always, we thank all Patreon supporters. It really helps us with the show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we also enjoy the correspondence, just the exchanges uh, over email. Um, Joe and I have been having a number of conversations about carbon fiber tripods and suitcase observatories. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, we might revisit some of that because uh I've been following your your conversation along. I don't have too much to to add to it. Um, but it definitely is uh, is interesting. I know you've kind of changed your scope out a little bit. And actually you both your scopes out uh this summer and have been selling gear and uh and and just kind of based on what you you guys are sort of taking this to a whole new level, I think is probably the best way to put it. So maybe we'll dive <laughs> back into that in a few episodes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that sounds great.
0: Yeah. Cool. And, uh, I, I have to give a special, uh, thanks out to, uh, Felipe who sent me, um, some, uh, some famous Brazilian coffee. And so he works in the coffee industry down in, uh, in Brazil. And he sent me this, um, organic naturally grown high altitude coffee as near as I can determine. I, and I put this as a qualifier because I, I believe everything on the packaging is in Portuguese and, uh, This coffee is just saying it's just out of this world. It is just uh, on a whole different level.
1: (laughs) Well, last night I was, uh, I always read the show notes in advance just to prep in case I have to, you know, do some reading or anything, which rarely is the case, but you know, I want to be ready. And when I was reading your description (laughs) of this coffee, (laughs) I had this unrational desire to go, you know, buy the the most incredible coffee in the world, and uh, anyway, your oh, description cow. is is wild. <laughs> so
0: it is; it really is quite wild. So, like I was saying, and and I started kind of going down this rabbit hole, and then said, no, no, we should just record it. But you know, I've tried some of the, um, you know, some of those best coffees in the world. Uh, you know, that, that are I'm not like a coffee efficient adder or anything, but like the Kona coffee, um, which I know you've had which is, mm-hmm. and, and that is extremely good coffee, like, uh, you know, really different uh, stuff, very next level
1: too, right? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, just full of flavor, and exceptionally smooth.
0: Yeah. And then um, I've tried like the Jamaican blue. I don't know if you've ever had that before.
1: Is, no, no, I have not. Which
0: is a pretty famous uh, coffee as well. And uh, quite good, very expensive. I think it's more expensive than the Kona. Um, it's very similar to the Kona though, um, at least to my palate. And, uh, and so when Felipe when was going to send me this coffee, this, this is sort of what I had in mind and, and the coffee that I got could it couldn't have been more different, um, but still on that same next level. And so I have my own, like he, he had asked if I had my own grinder, which of course I do. I don't have like a fancy grinder or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I have a, I do grind my own coffee uh, most days. And, uh, and so I. I opened it up and I smelled it and I was like, and it, and it smells amazing, but it does not smell like any coffee that you've ever smelled before. Oh <laughs> yeah, It is I, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like this indescribable coffee. And so I ground it and then I emptied it into my, like I emptied it into a canister, mm. um, just like a glass canister first. And I looked at, it, I'm like, I have to regrind this. I, I didn't do it justice. So actually and I've almost never done this, I had to put it back in my grinder and regrind the coffee because it just didn't even grind the same way as as, as beans that I usually get. I, I try all kinds of different coffees, and I almost never have to do this. So I had to regrind it. And um, it's really hard to describe the smell, and and it and it did have this beautiful, like, oh, it's really hard to describe it. almost smells and tastes like a field of flowers that popped up after a spring rain. And that just sounds ridiculous, but that is kind of how it tasted to me. Like it had these beautiful floral aromas and uh, my wife who does not drink coffee, I've actually never seen her drink coffee. She came over and drank some. <laughs> so <laughs> it's amazing. that's, that's kind of where, that's kind of where it's at. So I really appreciate that. Um, like I would say compared to like, right. It, it sort of had this, this tone of regular coffee, but no bitterness, like just exceptionally smooth. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was super, super cool. So I had actually intended to wait until maybe Mike came out to try it, but then, uh, he's been busy this weekend and such. So I was like, you know what, I can't wait. I just, can't, I can't, cause I don't think coffee should really sit around, at least in my opinion, it's, it's meant to be, um, harvested and processed and then, you know, uh, should be, should be grounded drunk. Um, in relatively short order, you shouldn't just leave it lying around somewhere. I'm sure it's fine, but I always feel like to do a proper justice, uh, you know, it, it should just be consumed and uh, wow. And then I felt bad because I was telling you, like, I felt like, oh, we should have really had this together, but uh, yeah, maybe we can connect and and have a cup uh, shortly. So he sent hmm. me quite a bit, so I've got like a kilogram of the stuff. So, oh, wow,
1: yeah, that's great. <laughs> I know it's
0: yeah, and uh, you know, I was saying to my wife, you know, of all the things that I thought I might, that might come out of this podcast, getting, uh, just, a, an amazing coffee experience was, was something that was never even on my radar. So this yes. was just an exceptional, exceptional treat, but, uh, anyway, we should talk a little bit about astronomy. I suppose. Well, How I mean, really
1: coffee is the best friend of an astronomer. so <laughs> There is a connection there. Yes,
0: <laughs> it is. And, uh, and I was up last night doing, doing some astronomy. So I really appreciated the coffee this morning. So I, uh, I wanted to ask you about how your July and early part of August was first before I ramble on too much.
1: Sure. So, well, early July, I really didn't do any, uh, nighttime observing, um, just because we're so close to the, uh, uh, the solstice that, you know, the, 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 day, the daytime hours are too long and it just doesn't really get that dark. So I did some solar observing earlier in the month and, um, the sun is just so active right now. I can't stress enough how much there is to see there. And, um, the, the one thing that I'll note, um, like if you're doing white light solar observing, um, There's a lot of chatter online about the beta continuum filter. I think it is. Yeah. It's supposed to be really good. I don't have it, but it's supposed to be really good for white light observing just to help bring out some of the more subtle detail that you can observe. Yeah. I've looked through it. Okay. Um, how was it? It
0: does. Yeah. It's, it's really good. I'm not, I mean, I've, this is the problem though, is that I've looked through it and I thought it was cool. I'm not really that much of a solar observer as you know, Shane. So, but, uh, but yeah, a friend of mine has it. I think Randall has it. And okay. somebody somebody else has it as well. And uh, I think we watched the transit of Venus through it. So oh, uh, neat. yeah. So I-, I have some experience with it. I thought it was really awesome, but at the same time, I don't really I don't really have that much of a rich background in solar observing to uh, to really detail out why it seems so good. Very sharp,
1: I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. Fair points. Um, but what I was reading online recently is people are using O3 filters through, like while uh, observing white light solar. Oh, yeah. Um, and, sense. uh, I started to do that and yeah. I was pretty pleased. Um, I think it does help with a little bit of the surface detail, um, and, and create maybe a little more contrast with the sunspots. So mm-hmm. if you're a white light solar observer, and if you have an oxygen three or O3 filter in your kit. Uh, give it a try and just see how you like it. And um, if you do that, send us an email too. I'd be curious about what you think. I, I I used it limit in limited amount of sessions, so I want to keep using it throughout the summer here just to see how I I you know like it over a number of different sessions. But uh, you know, first first report, it seems pretty solid. Um, so anyway, a lot of solar observing. Yeah, and then uh, when you went to grasslands, I you know had a change of plans due to some family issues. Um, but I stayed home and I went to the, uh, the local clubs, dark site out by uh, it's a little town called Davin. And I had one of the better nights I've ever had out there. In fact, mm. uh, just a great night in general. Um, I, you know, I did a, I got one of my bucket list observations done, which was splitting Antares. Um, so that was a lot of fun with the TSA one Oh two. Um, but like the night was just. There were so many Messier and deep sky objects that you could see naked eye. I was really quite surprised, um, you know. In the rift of the Milky Way, gosh, it had to extend twenty five degrees or so wide. It was it was pretty good and mm-hmm. um, just a great night. I spent a lot of time in um, Sagittarius. Um, again working through omira's hidden treasures uh, i looked at uh, ngc uh, 6624 um i think that was a globular uh, 6520 uh was an open cluster a really neat open cluster it's sort of a like a mini uh, kemble's cascade there's like five quite bright stars in a straight line and mm. then kind of some nebulosity and some other stars that form that open cluster mm. Um what else? Uh, another globular in there, 6544. Um, what what I find really interesting about these NGC objects that Omira calls out is when you're in Sagittarius, you're often, you know, lured into like the lagoon, the trifid, uh, you know, M22, M17, like kind of the showpiece messier objects. And it's easy to miss some of these NGCs, but if you if you do look for them, it's actually quite astonishing to me how bright they are and how large they are and how I've missed them somehow all these years. So so anyway, it was really fun and took in a whole bunch of other, you know, Messier objects that I've seen a thousand times and had some really good looks at Saturn that night, which is uh, starting to become a a pretty good object earlier on. And uh, yeah, just in general, it was a beautiful evening. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. How about you? How's your July been?
0: Yeah. Um, well, we still seem to be getting and even up to a couple nights ago, we still seem to be getting these um, these these clear nights, but that they're often either preceded or or at some point the clouds pass through and it, and it rains like um, even two nights ago, it was supposed to be clear. And I thought, I'm just I don't like the look of that cloud in the distance. And it, it was like again, like a 10, like we'll say like zero or ten or twenty percent chance of rain, you know, sometimes then you get mm-hmm. that just if there's clouds around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't set up and yeah, it rained. And then some went down, and of course, everything's everything's now soaked and uh it's just gonna be wet all night, right? Yeah. And uh I suppose I probably could have done binocular astronomy that night, but uh, you know, like like you were saying, kind of work commitments and other things. I was just I was just way too tired and the conditions were just far too marginal to, uh, uh, to motivate me to, uh, to go out. Um, but in July, yeah, it was, it was the same thing. It just kept, uh, kept, it's kept doing this. So I think I'm getting like, I think I'm on my seventh night since the start of June or something like that, maybe eighth, which doesn't seem like much to me because like I'll be out if it's good and clear, Mm -hmm. but, uh, these, just these nights where these clouds and rain showers at night are coming through um, and b- before I go into my observations, like even in grasslands, we observed a bit on the Friday night and tore down, went back to the tent. Um, and then just like pitter, patter rain, like all night, <laughs> you know, like we didn't, I don't think we had a millimeter of rain, but it was just like little bits of rain shower all night, even in the grasslands, which is just like the most dry place in, in, uh, in this part of Canada anyway. Um. So that's kind of been a bit disappointing. Um, Yeah. And it's kind of impacted the observing uh, for sure. And it's just like the chance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like here today, it's the same thing. It's like incredibly clear. And we've had days where like I, I took a week off and every day was the same. It was totally clear, like blue sky horizon to horizon every day. And then just by random chance at night, the clouds would pass through, there'd be a rain shower, and then they'd move out just in time for sunrise kind of thing. And like, if you talk to anybody, you know, people were saying, oh, you must be getting lots of astronomy because they weren't realizing like they were going to bed just as like it was getting dark and it was clouding up. And then no, I haven't observed in weeks. And what are you talking about? It's been clear like every day. Yeah. I was a solar observer. It'd be great.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, did fit in some early evening op- observing too, just in the backyard, you know, chasing down some double stars and yeah. some big open clusters and things like that. But, um, certainly no, you know, meaningful dark sky observing other than that one night out at Davin.
0: Yeah. 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 I did get, uh, I did get a couple good nights out here just where, uh, you know, cause when you're, when you're sort of living out here, um, at a dark site, you can really pick and choose. So there's been a couple nights where, you know, it cleared off at one thirty. and then uh, you know, a couple nights I was set up and just went out and observed. I did the same thing last night where I set my scope up at uh, at dusk and uh, went to bed for a few hours and then woke up and observed for two or three hours uh, during the night and and last night was was okay, but then it got it got really good about two o'clock. Mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was pretty bad, but uh, I was able to to make some fun observations. Like I'm not even really working on anything because, um, this is like such marginal observing. I had a nice long view at, uh, M33, which is the large Triangulum galaxy had a nice view of, uh, M31 and, and M32 and M110, um, which are the companion galaxies to the Andromeda galaxy and took a look at, uh, at that, oh, what's it called? The big open cluster there and Triangulum that Carolyn Herschel found. I think it's like I don't know what it is. I, I looked it up even before this. I'm just really tired because I was up all night. And there was some huge aurora. There's when I first got up, I walked up the hill and there was like one of those like huge streaks just sitting there in the sky. I think people are calling these like a Steve or something. Although I don't think this one was a Steve. I think it was just like a pillar on a funny angle. Mm. And then uh, the aurora kind of kicked up a bit. And so I actually went and drove up the hill and you get a better view of the north um, on, on top of the hill. And uh, the whole, the, whole of the northern sky was just alive with Aurora. And then there was these huge broken bands that were cutting straight up overhead. And, and I drove down and you could even just like stand on the front deck here and look up and, and you could see these. Um, it's really hard to describe. They were like uh, almost like, um, yeah, they were just like, there'd be like a line of Aurora and then a break, no Aurora, and then another line, and then a break and a line. And this just covered like the whole sky through, almost through the zenith. It wasn't quite at the zenith, but it was like at about 70 degrees up. So you could like stand on the front deck and, and see it, even though you're only standing four or five feet in front of the house. So it was it was almost right, right overhead. So that was, yeah, that was pretty cool to
1: see last night. Yeah, right on, right on.
0: Yeah. Down in the grasslands, though, last weekend, man, that place is so dark. Mm-hmm. Like it is, man, for people that have never been to a Bortle One site before, um, I'm I'm really surprised that there's so sort of so few amateur astronomers in Saskatchewan and, and nearby places um, that there's just not that many that visit it. Um, like it is so dark, though. Like, yeah, you know, putting my four inch refractor, my four inch, I took my four inch tack down with me. I was looking at like the wild duck cluster mm. and, you know, through my 30 power or my 30 millimeter eyepiece, which I think gives me like 25 power or something like that. You know, that cluster is so bright. Like it was, it, it, it was almost like a globular cluster. Um, And there were so many stars, like just packed so tightly together. Like you had to use power to kind of even begin to kind of disperse it. Like it was just, such a, such a tightly condensed, um, very detailed, uh, cluster. And, uh, just like everything is, is like that out there. Um, but I did these, um, just naked eye sky tours. eh? Okay. And, uh, it was so dark that night I had, uh, I had a laser pointer, but when I started trying to use it, cause I, the parks want me to do like so many tours a night, but when I was sort of scheduled to kind of do one, like the first one, Um, you could see like probably fourth, fourth and a half magnitude stars, but you couldn't use the laser pointing up because the the sky itself was still too bright. So I was like trying to get my head around the fact, like how can I see almost fifth magnitude stars, but it's still too bright to see the laser pointer. Like it's just so dark overhead. You know, (laughs) like it's,
1: Mm.
0: it is so, so crazy dark there. And, uh, once it did get fully dark and, uh, and the public stayed out until just about one o'clock, We had about a hundred people out. And, uh, you know you could see things like seeing like Messier 8 and sort of the um Trifid and M20 region um like that was just bright like mm-hmm. that was very very bright spot in the milky way you'd never miss it you know um and then things like um the dark horse nebulae complex which is uh, <laughs> excuse me it looks like a dark horse sitting on a time quarters up in the bottom of opus yep. um you know, like I I pointed that out to to the public that was there, and I said, like, you know, usually this is something you just see in photographs, and uh, we could see M twenty two like the public, like I was. like, Does anybody see this fuzzy spot here? And yeah, mm-hmm. everybody could see it, and you could see M twenty two unaided uh, eye. Um, that, like, you know, and you know, I was pretty excited about it. I think I counted, oh, I counted about forty deep sky objects, and there was all these clusters like up in uh, sort of Perseus and Camelopardalis and. Cassiopeia, and uh, you know, just like the usual ones, like some of the, like, um, oh, let's see, like the double cluster was was so bright, you could see the two lobes, like of the clusters, like naked eye, you could see the two distinct lobes, and mm-hmm. then you could actually see, I think it's stock two that's just above it, you could see that, like like so clearly, not just like, oh, you can kind of see the yeah. lobes, they were just like just totally there. Then like um, the North American Nebula, you know, which is sometimes like, if you, you think you've seen it, like naked eye, you might debate, Oh, like, is that it? Or am I really seeing it or what are we seeing there? And it was so, it was so clearly defined like that, that edge in um, around like the sort of the the Gulf of Mexico Mm -hmm. was just like, it was just like somebody took like a black crayon and drew through the star cloud. Like, and, it just looked like a dark stream there, like to the naked eye. Just and I mean, I need new glasses and uh, and probably don't have the best prescription right now. And I just like seeing that level of detail on um, the structure going down through uh, Aquila and Scutum and uh, Sagittarius like the 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 detail, like the, the Milky Way wasn't just a band, it was just like so so much detail. Um, you could see like that detail in in M. Um, 24 as well, where it has almost like this greater than symbol in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. You could see all that. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Really, really great. And I, I hardly looked through the telescopes. I just mostly look yeah. at the sky mm-hmm. naked eye. Yeah. It was fantastic.
1: Well, you know, the, the number one accessory for an astronomer is not eyepieces or filters or big telescopes. It's a dark sky. And, oh yeah. You know, the darker the sky, the more it sort of compensates for all that other stuff, you know, like a, a four inch, like your refractor under a dark sky like that, you know, probably performs like almost like a six inch or eight inch on, you know, uh, a sky half as good sort of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of, but like the, the, nothing can compare to that contrast. Just having yeah, that, yeah. that contrast just jacked up like that is uh, oh, just amazing. Yeah. Just, just incredibly. If people haven't gotten to, uh, a border one site before they they should try to, to get to one. If you live in Canada, you should try to get down to the grasslands because, uh, yeah, that is definitely that's definitely the best sky I've I've ever seen. Really, it is. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've been down did. for yeah I've been down further south and like on top of Haleakala in Hawaii. And you know, getting getting further south is great. And you can see more detail. And certainly, if you're on top of a ten thousand foot volcano, like the sky is a little bit better. But uh, boy, it's 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 so close to that down there that uh, it it's quite surprising. Yeah, quite quite surprising. Yeah, and the details through the telescopes, like. And you look at M thirteen through a twelve inch down there, like Mike has twelve inch setup. It's it would be like looking at a at M thirteen through a twenty inch under a Bortle three sky, which is like a good sky. You know, Bortle three sky and like mm-hmm. a little bit better than where my dark site is. And I've looked through twenty inches, twenty inch telescopes like that, and yeah. But the twelve inch down there, whew, yeah, just just uh, gives you so so much detail. Yeah, yeah, good good session. Yeah, really good session down there. So. But uh yeah, I wasn't sleeping as good. So I ended up buying the inner mesh lining for my tent because I just have a fabric lining interior. So I, w- I was getting too hot at night, not sleeping as well. I wanted to do three nights, so I only did two. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, I got the mesh lining coming. So that will uh that will hopefully uh help get me a couple more hours sleep, uh sleeping night when it is warmer down there.
1: Nice. I um I finally put my Mark's work warehouse. So that's a, a store in Canada, a clothing store. And I had bought um, I think they call it like a no-fly zone mosquito repellent shirt. You know, it uses like natural things in the clothing to repel mosquitoes and wood ticks. Oh yeah. And uh the mosquitoes were thick out at Davin, but this shirt did a great job to keep them away. I was mm. really pleased with it. Oh wow i might I might buy like a hat and pants of the of the same make so that I you know kind of have a full kit to keep the mosquitoes away without without having to use you know any kind of spray or you know bug repellent,
0: oh yeah, heat that stuff, yeah, yeah, I've been just kinda setting up and i'm waiting waiting them out like even even like some nights here have been they've been horrendous, but uh you know after an hour and a half after sunset, they're gone. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They do disappear once it cools off, but you know, sometimes too, with these warm days that we've been having, you know, the evenings are not cooling as quickly as I'd like. So the, you know, the mosquitoes stay a little more active.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Anything else to add to this uh, episode, Shane? No, that is it. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks everybody for listening. We're always uh, happy to receive your Patreon support and we can be reached for your observing reports or anything else you might wish to ask us at uh, actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, everybody.
1: Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.